All right, welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. And today we're actually uh, with Mont Adams at Adams Built Fishing in Fallon, Nevada. Welcome, Mont. Oh, glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We, Nico and I have been looking forward to this for a long time. And um, I just wanted to tell the listener here about our location. It's a really unique place. And what is so neat about it is that it's so non-assuming. If you didn't know you were <laughs> right. here, there's no signage. There's, right. It's just... You kind of feel like you're in the heart of something special, and you've got to know about it in order to be on the inside here. So, right. how, how did you get? Tell us about your um, background. How did Adams Built come along, and where did you get into fishing? Well, I used to fish with my father when I was when I was really little in, a, in northern Utah. We'd go up to the beaver ponds up in the uh, up in the mountains there of the. Uh, uh, just outside of uh, our small little town where I lived there in Roy and um, it was just to me as a little kid watching my father it was just it was just an unbelievable experience because it, everything was so big and beautiful and and he had to be quiet and he had to sneak up on these little ponds and and it wasn't it wasn't fly fishing at the time you know my dad was throwing uh, spinners or whatever he whatever he had, but we were the only ones there. Now that's changed a lot in a lot of the territories huh. I've been, particularly yeah. during this COVID thing. Everywhere you go now, there's a thousand people. Yeah. yeah, there's no such thing as no one there. <laughs> no matter how, where. How at. did you transition into fly fishing? Well, um, you know, I honestly, as a youth, did not fish that much. It was mostly those experiences with my father. Um, when I, when I, uh, got married to my wife, she was from Fallon and her family was in the fishing industry. They owned a distri dis distributor business and they distributed fishing tackle in the Sierras and had done it for years. And her father at the time was getting older and he wanted his family to live here all on the ranch with his family and had it, wanted everyone to be there. So he invited me to come and take over his position and take over his we were wagon jobbers. I don't know if you understand what that term means. Is we used to pull a trailer behind our vehicles and go and visit the stores right to their doorstep. We'd wow. go in, write the order, go out in the trailer and pull the order, and drop it off right there. And we just move on to the next town, to the next store. Wow. Wow. And interesting enough that the big uh, item, you know, for that was, was night crawlers. That's where they made, you know, they started in the nightcrawler business, and that's where they really boomed. But over the years, you know, I, I was in Northern California, so I spent a lot of time in Chester, mm -hmm. you know, Quincy, Portola, all those little little towns up there. And uh, it's just a beautiful place with lots of opportunities to fish. And one of my old friends that I met up in Chester, California, his name was Irv Wheat. And Irv was, was a lot older than me. At the time when I started, I was in my early 20s. And I, and I met Irv, and he was a school teacher, and whenever he got off of school, man, he was out fishing somewhere. And he knew the territory, Lake Almanor, Butt Lake, you know, all the rivers and streams in the area. And so when I hooked up with Irv, I, in fact, some nights I would stay at his house, and him, him and his wife would cook dinner for him, and, and uh, he was a fly tire. 
and we started buying flies. You know, I'd buy them from him at a dollar a piece. And picture this, we would sometimes buy $40,000 worth of flies a year from him. And he tied wow. everyone himself. That's 40,000 flies in a year's time. Wow. It was amazing. His wife said that's all he did. That's it. Was tie flies and fish. And fish. But anyway, I work, we worked long hours. We started early and we finished late. So here's my first fly fishing experience was in the dark at Butt Lake and in the full moon. And Irv says, look, don't worry. We'll go down there. I'll show you what to do. Well, of course, in the dark, fly fishing is a whole new experience. <laughs> You know, hooking in everything around you because you don't know how to cast. And so Irv finally decided, let me cast for you and then you can reel in the fish. Well, true story, the very first fish I caught on a fly and reeled in with Irv Wheat was a 10 plus pound brown trout out of Butt Lake just below the powerhouse. The minnows would come down and get churned up in the powerhouse and the fish would come up and gorge themselves. And you'd go down in the full moon and, and fish for these... So I did that as often as I could, you know, and over the years I learned, of course, how to cast, and we did a lot of other things, the hex hatch, and, and uh, you know, all these, you know, Eagle Lake trout up at Eagle Lake, and all these kind of fishing with Jay Fair, another buddy of mine, it was, I, I had to learn how to be a fly fisherman, and I just wow. fell in love with it. Wow. So consequently, what we did was, Hendrix was, of course, in conventional fishing, mostly, and then I had such a desire to get into fly fishing, we started adding products, and we eventually became a Rio distributor, we became an Umqua distributor, Seaguar, and a lot of other brands in the fly fishing industry. We became a distributor for them. And, nice. And it ended up being to where we were not only just a conventional, but Hendrix became a fly fishing man, uh, distributor as well. Wow. That's great. And then how did you transition from there into Adamsville? Um... Again, you know, kind of a unique opportunity. As a distributor, of course, you know, you're buying other people's products and selling them. And we kind of decided that we needed to find a product line that we could basically put our own brand on and uh, create a little bit larger margin to create a little bit more cash flow to help support the business. And, and so that kind of became my uh, part of the business as I began... Uh, designing and manufacturing overseas. It started with Waiters. Waiters was our first product that we designed under the Hendrix Outdoors label. And then we added other things along the way. And, and But what happened is that we had Hendrix Outdoors, the distributor, and then we had Hendrix Outdoors, the, the, the uh, you know, manufacturer, basically, and we decided that we needed to separate the companies. So, or not the companies, but find another name for the brand. Sure. And so that's... A, a, a young man that was a salesman for us at the time, his name was Jim Zek. He came up with the, the name Adams Built. He said, your last name's Adams, and you're the one that's designing and building these things. He said, so Adams Built. And I kind of thought, ah, that's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. And so I mentioned it to my daughter Whitney, and at the time my daughter Whitney was uh, uh, in college, and she was uh, kind of in marketing. Yeah, and she came up with our logo, which is this logo right here that you can see, and the shape, and the, this is actually where we're, it started. We're looking at a stack of hats here. This this is the actual logo, and it kind of had an old school look to it, right? And yeah, became, it does. instantly became very popular. Yeah, and people just really liked the way it looked, and yeah, and all that, and so we went from Hendrix Outdoors manufacturing waders and adding products to the Adams built name and. 
And now, um, 10 years ago, we actually switched from Hendrix to Adamsville. And then seven years ago, we separated. I separated out from Hendrix and, and started Adamsville fishing on our own. Nice. And that's why we're here in this unbranded building that you can't find because we're in this small town of Fallon, Nevada, and the general public wants to think that we're a retail store. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> right. So we had to kind of hide it a little bit and keep it a little bit. You know you've got a good product when you have to hide from your customers. <laughs> <laughs> we prefer to let the retailers sell to the public and we'll sell to the retailers. That's right. kind of the way we do it. Right. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, we, in, um, we were talking before... Um, You've been to so many different places now that you're kind of in the industry. What are some of your standout uh, travel locations that you've been to? Are we talking fishing-wise or business-wise? You both. We, you know, whatever. If they intertwine. Yeah. I mean, how? The, well, let's start with. Let's start with. Uh, what, I mean, where has Adams built and Hendrix has brought you around the world? You know, with the manufacturing experience, maybe we could start there. And then branch off to the good stuff. With yeah, interesting thing. I, I, I we began uh, going to shows, and of course, taking some of the products that we had under the Hendrix label, and showing them at shows, and and getting you know some of the general public used to the the new product and that. Of course, we had a few retailers that we were selling through the Sierras, and and kind of wanted to expand it a little bit. So these shows worked out well. Well, I had numerous. Uh, manufacturers come up to me from from overseas, yeah. you know, saying, "Hey, can we manufacture your product?" and and all those kind of things. And uh, I met a, a young man named Jason and a, a, his partner, who was a little bit older than him, named J.W. And they were both Koreans. Okay. And J.W. lived in Korea. Jason lived in in China. Yeah, and they, they work together in manufacturing for, for several companies in the United States and other parts of the world. Well, I hooked up with those guys. I made my first trip to China, and boy, was my eyes open. <laughs> it was, you know, it was an interesting trip. I, I learned a lot of things. I, I landed in the airport, um, and at the time I first made my first trip there, there were troops in the, in the airport with machine guns and you felt like they were watching you, you know. You, you land in this airport and you don't see another white person. There were communist China troops? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I learned over the years that, that China was a very um, friendly place, a very fun place to go. Uh, I just decided from the very beginning I was going to learn the culture. I was sure. going to accept what they did. I learned to eat their food. Believe me, I've eaten some interesting things from, <laughs> from live things that still crawled on the table in your plate. To, That's fresh. It's fresh to, food. As fresh, fresh as you can yeah. get. Yeah. Yeah. It, just, it was just the way you coin it, you know, from to, crawling to fresh. Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, one of the interesting experiences, these Korean friends of mine, if you want to call them that, took me to a restaurant and they brought this tank in and set it on the table and inside were these little octopus swimming around and... One of them reached in with the chopsticks and wrapped the legs around it, threw it in his mouth, and, and he basically dared me. So I did it. <laughs> How did it taste? I reached in, I threw that in my mouth, and the funny thing is that thing clinged to the inside of my mouth and into my throat, and they said my eyes got so big, and I was like, what do I do now? And I bit down, and 
needless to say, it kind of popped or exploded. Uh, it was its last revenge. And slid down my throat. And after that, it was, you know. Wow. I kind of fit in after that. Wow. They soon learned that I, you know, I just cared about them. You know, I was, I appreciated their service that they'd given me over the years. And, you know, they take you to dinner, you sit down and you eat with them. And you, and I've just become really, really good friends with the factories that I deal with over there. Yeah. yeah. And I've made them a part of Adams Built. And it's it's been a wonderful thing. I've been able to keep factories that I'm, you know, started 20 years ago building under Hendrix. And I'm still in those same factories today under Adams. You know, quality becomes an important thing. Sure. And, you know, people building your product in a long period of time know what you expect and know what you want. And uh, I still have some of the same women and, and even some of the same men that I saw in those factories 20 plus years ago are still sitting there today when I go over there. That's great. And that, that goes hand in hand with your reputation from what I've seen in the industry as being, you know, very... Um, you know, customer service orientated and, and, you know, being friendly to the customer and helpful and standing behind your product. And that's a, that goes a long way because you could have, there's a lot of product lines out there where they, they may look great in print or look good on, but when it comes to that part where, you know, the customer picks up and gives a phone call, hey, this is broken, this is leaking, and they got it out, it's just kind of, oh, sure, great, you know, buy another one. You know, they're just not getting the service. And I've been here a few times where I've heard the phone get picked up and it sounds like a problem gets resolved in a heartbeat. And that's... Uh, that's we have a three-word slogan or that we've gone by since we started over here. And that's quality, service, price. That's, that's, that's what we do. It's great. We create, create a quality product. We provide the best price we possibly can. You know, uh, and I say that, that, you know, this is an industry where there is some wonderful manufacturers who create great product. Yeah. And, and some of them dominate the industry. Sure. They really, really do. They're good at what they do. Uh, and, and, they're, and they're, you know, more power to them. They get the price that they ask for. And it, you know. They do. They really, really do. What I wanted to do was I wanted to create a product line that provided the same amount of quality but at a price that everybody could afford. So if a guy didn't have a lot of money, he could still get into the industry and enjoy what I enjoy doing and still feel like he could use our product, you know, forever. Right. And it's kind yeah. of it's kind of ended up being that way. We we tend to get a, a customer that buys our product and we keep them. Well, and you're eliminating barriers, you know, for those that are entering the sport, you know, or even maybe been in the sport for a while. And, it, and, it, and as we know, especially with fly fishing, it can be cost prohibitive at times where, you know, you feel like you're accelerating, you're getting deeper in the sport. And, you know, like with gear, you start using the heck out of gear. You know, you start, you know, blowing holes in waders or, or ripping through boots. Yeah. Um, I'm pointing at Ben because he's famous for that. You know, and then, but, you know, it comes to the point where you're like, oh, well, I need a new pair of boots, but I don't want to fork out $500 for a pair of boots. I think you and I had a conversation about that, <laughs> but you know, but but now you have you have a price con price a price conscious product um, that's high quality and that can get somebody out in the river day after day, day you know day after day after day month after month you know all the time. Nico and, and I my... we both have families and you know there's two two components. One is do you have the money? The second one is is that 
cost going to win the battle and lose the war <laughs> within the family. So having that lower price point, we always call it sustainability. So, if, you know, Nico and I want to yeah. go fly fish after work and he'll say, um, actually, you know, we've got something going on or, oh, I just went yesterday. We don't even have to get into, you know, oh, you know, my wife needs me or that. We just say the word sustainability. <laughs> we'll say, I can't make it. Sustainability. Nico knows. I've used up my allotted fly fishing time for the last few days. But as far as price point goes, I've talked to a lot of different people who they want to get into fly fishing and they're just like, I don't have. And they'll just name some random, you know, giant amount to get into this sport. And people don't realize that you can get into it. Um, fairly easily and you just take it in stride it's just yeah. so rewarding that I, I love that you do have that consideration for the entry-level um, person absolutely you know I have great respect for the for the Goliaths of this industry you know the ones that have really set the standard and have created a wonderful market they really really have and you know what they, they've earned it they've earned it they've done a great job for a long long time and I'm just grateful to be be a part of the industry, to be able to have a, a niche that we fit into where we can take care of of really anybody at, at any level. You know, our, our waiters, I'll be honest with you, I would put our waiters up against anybody's waiters out there. And even even at our, our price point of, of $300 for our high-end waiter, $299.95 at retail for our high-end waiter, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that's a... A very very great price point for what they're getting sure and you know we do have lower versions that, that go down from there but to have our high-end waiter at 299 and to have it at the quality that it is you know I think we've we've uh, you know made an imprint on the industry as well that, that those that feel like they can't afford it really really can absolutely and of course all of our products have become become a, a high quality affordable um, long-lasting that even even the person that has the money could purchase our product and be and be happy with it. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit about the passion side of it. As we're sitting here in in Mont's office to look up on the wall, and there's a couple. Uh, the direction I'm looking is we got a bunch of rooster fish uh, posters up there. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you got going on with the the rooster fish in Baja. Well, that's a tournament that uh -huh. we started sponsoring, uh, you know, along with several others, uh, back in, I think 2015 is when it started. And, um, uh, I couldn't go the first couple of years. Uh, you know, I wanted to help, but I decided that I was going to go and, and participate. And, and I actually got to take, you know, some donations down there and hand out to those that, that came to the tournament and, let them know some of our product and see their response to it. And, sure. And anyway, but there's two fish in this world that I love to catch and that I still want to go catch bigger ones. And that's the giant Trevally, the GT, mm -hmm. which we can talk about it in a minute. And, of course, the rooster fish, which I, I've caught a fairly big rooster fish um, in the 50 to 60 pound range that took Whoa. over an hour to land and, and, and oh man, the excitement on that and the runs and, the, and, and you know, and, and to see the passion of the, the boat driver 
you know, the captain of the boat and his passion and the guide and their passion. And these are local guys, you know. And it's just unbelievable to watch and to see how much they love that fish. Right. And I feel for them because it's just so intriguing to see how they react to the, the, uh, the bait. that You have a bait that goes out there that has no hook to, to attract them and then casting the flies and how they veer off the bait. And if you have a good cast, they'll hit your fly. If you don't, you're, you're, you're stuck. You're going to miss them. And, and it doesn't happen very often. That's the thing. It's some days it's just you better get your shot. And, huh. and do it well, and uh, it's and you have a partner in the boat, and it, it's just so much fun. So that's one fish I have a great passion for. But the GT, I learned at a, a place called Christmas Island down in the South Pacific between Hawaii and Fiji. Oh wow! You know, I went down there. The first time I went down there was in 2000, and uh, I mean it was a. a old resort called Captain Captain Cook. Those that have been there know exactly what Captain Cook was. And that was the place. That's where you went. And uh, I met a few people there that I'm still friends with today. In fact, one of them, I encouraged him to, to someday start his own resort. And he actually did. Wow. And he now has his own resort. Where This is where I go. And I take people with me. And we go down there. Nice. I've been there. It's a third world country. It's an atoll, not an island. Um, it's actually like 12 feet above sea level now. It's actually sinking. They claim that it won't even be in existence after by 2050. Wow. So I want to get as much of the fishing right. in as I can. Right. But it is a third world country. And I've been down there where the only thing there was to eat was fish and rice because the boat hadn't come in you know, from, from the main island and they just didn't have anything. And I felt so bad. For them, so we we sacrificed, you know, some of the stuff that we wanted to, that they had for us to eat, so that they could eat. Sure. And we brought stuff with us when we came down, and we made sure that you, you know we handed stuff out to the kids, and that they had stuff. And but they'll give their shirt off their back for you because you know you're their livelihood. You know the fishermen that come down there are their livelihood, and and uh, Simi is his name, and his wife Sima, and their family run this little resort, and. Uh, uh, this is actually a hat that I'm making for them. It's called Lagoon View oh, Resort. That's great. Oh, awesome. And of course, bonefish is kind of the yeah the fish that they protect down there to keep people going. But it's a, a bonefish between two palm trees. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But the the fish I go down that's there cool. for is the GT. That's I've had a giant, really big GT on that spooled me. I've had some mid-sized ones that I've landed. I, I still have the desire to catch something in there. That's seven, awesome. That keeps you going. Range. Yeah. <laughs> keeps yeah. going. What is it about the GT? Is it um, that attracts you to Well, I'll tell you fish. just a really short story. We went out into the big water, which is the, through the channel, out into the open water. And we were throwing plugs and everything for tuna, for whatever would come. And... Uh, there were sharks, there were barracuda, there were lots of other varieties of fish there. And the captain of the boat just started yelling, get your fly rods, GTs, GTs, GTs. And we look in the water and there is not another fish anywhere to be found. And you can see these GTs coming. So what that tells me is this is the king of the ocean. <laughs> wow. Those fish are afraid of those things or something, but yeah. they're just so intriguing. And, and, the, and the runs that they take, and, uh, you know, again, similar to like the rooster fish and those, 
it's just so exciting and so exhilarating and, and wears you out. You wonder, in the middle of that, trying to land that fish, you wonder, why am I doing this? <laughs> I'm ready to die. Well, what are you using on the, like, if you're using a fly rod, like, what weight, you know, what weight rod are you using? Uh, um, for the for the GTs, 12s. 12s, yeah, okay, wow. Yeah, they're all, they're, they're mostly 12s. Wow. When they're bone fishing, you're using 8s. You know, I mean, used as light as a 7, but... Eights is probably the, the, the one that we use the most down there. And there's so much variety of fish, too. You catch a lot of other other sure. species while you're down there as well. So it kind of it's a very intriguing place. I love it. Walking the flats. It's absolutely gorgeous. Crystal blue water. Wow. It's, it's now the name Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. There's also the surfing piece, the breaks. And so how are the waves on Christmas Island? Do you see any on the outer reefs or... Yeah, you see, believe me, we've been out in the open water going around to other parts of the island and, and having to sit on a boat. Uh, um, unfortunately, Mont doesn't do well sometimes in big waves on boats. <laughs> I hate to admit that, but sometimes you get a little green, you know, and I've been in there. But I, I, I never have seen a wave anything like you'd see in Hawaii or anything like that, like we talked about. I've never seen anything like that, but... They get some big waves, waves that I don't want to... In fact, I saw the last trip we went, we saw four Japanese when we were leaving the island come in. And it had been fairly windy and kind of rainy on that on this trip. So there, there were some, some waves. Well, they went out for GTs in the big water every day with spinning gear. Uh-huh. And they caught several, several GTs in the 60 to 80 pound range. Wow. But I got chatting with one of them there in line, and he didn't speak very good English, but I could understand. And he said, he said, oh, man, did we get sick. <laughs> but he said it was worth it because we caught lots of GTs. So. Yeah, I've been, I've been seasick on boats, and it's just that feeling. You just can't shake it once it happens. You turn a point, and it just... Yeah. I just cannot get rid of no, that you, feeling. Uh, yeah, if you're out there long enough, even though when you hit... You hit land, you're still moving. <laughs> oh, man. Taking a shower, I've fallen down in the shower before because I got so dizzy. That's yeah. crazy, but that's true. <laughs> that's great. And, I, you know, I was thinking, too, you, we were talking before about um, uh, Hawaii, with what you referenced there about those waves before the podcast. But also I wanted to talk about, we usually ask, you know, what's your favorite burrito? And you've also got a, a lot of experience with some of that exotic food. But for burritos, um, you mentioned a place here. Um, tell us about your, your favorite burrito around here. Well, uh, I mean, I, I love Mexican food. I don't normally buy burritos when I get Mexican food. It's something else. But there's a place called Azteca, which is just across Williams Avenue over here next to the, to the telephone company in. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, my secretary, who loves Mexican food, Linda, who's worked for me for for almost 30 years. Wow, wow. that's great. And um, she's the biggest part of our customer service. She, she knows our customers. She knows them well. She takes care of them. In fact, I've had the phone ring. You know, I'll say, Adam's about fishing. They'll say, hey, hi, Mon, is Linda there? <laughs> <laughs> they want to talk to her because they know she'll take care of business. So, so anyway. But anyway, this... We had a burrito. It was a it was a steak burrito, and wow, huge! I had to struggle to to get it all down, but it was really really good. Well, this is a great topic. So let's let's 
<clears throat> let's continue to dive into it. This is my specialty. I like to think that I'm a great fly fisherman, but really when it comes down to it, I'm a champ at eating burritos. He is also, for the record, a great fly fisherman. I will state that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, so uh, that burrito, so steak burrito, when I picture a steak burrito, if, if you're not getting specific, you're diving into one of my favorites, which would be the all-meat burrito, meaning that your vegetables consist of whatever um, was utilized to manufacture the tortilla, which is usually wheat, right? So, I, I think, is that a vegetable? It's a grain. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, so, but inside that burrito, I mean, what did they have beans, rice, vegetables? They had beans, they had rice. Okay. You know, I, I don't recall having a lot of vegetables, but I believe it had onions in it. Yeah. And a few things, but it was, it was very good. I enjoyed it. I'm just, I'm lost in it. So the tortilla, did it leave you a little greasy fingers, or was it a solid tortilla, or was it, did it have a little powder on it? Do you, do you recall? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it left, it was greasy or anything. Okay. Um, I think it was a little bit on the powdery side, maybe, okay. maybe a little bit. Okay. I don't believe it left a big residue or anything on my hands. Gotcha, but, gotcha. But it's I just, actually remember that I enjoyed the texture of it. It was, right. it was actually. So without actually experiencing the burrito myself, these questions put me <laughs> in the realm of like being there in the moment. Uh-huh. So yeah, because usually, I mean, if they have a puffier like uh, um, tortilla, that means that the contents are extremely moisture laden, which is great. Like you know, maybe there's a high fat content. Um, a lot of juice going on. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, for me, hearing the name Azteca, mm. that already is, that, to me, that's a 10 out of 10 on what you should name your place. Right. It takes you there. You know you're going on an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you're going on adventure. And it's great to take those little trips. Like, you're kind of taking a, a quick international trip without leaving your hometown. You know. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I mean, there's another Mexican restaurant in town called La Fiesta, which is without wow. question the most popular one in town. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, very popular. Right. Unfortunately, gentlemen, burrito is not on my list. Of, of, That's fine. And That's, I hate to say that, but no. when you go get to their chimichanga or their or their bacon bacon wrapped shrimp called called apertaldo. Uh huh. Holy moly. I, I, I run from the burrito to the apertura. That's that that's fine. That's respectable. I do not that's, want to offend you. I know you're no offense. You know, no, no offense. There. No offense. But this actually brings me to another piece of the conversation is in your world travels, whether they've been business or fly fishing, do you have a memorable meal overseas or you know, an in international travel? Is there something that stands out? I mean, you gave us the octopus story which that's yes. a fun story, but I don't know if, on the cuisine side, if that's like something you would want to repeat. <laughs> you know, a lot of the memorable things that I've had, you know, of course, is eating like silkworms and, and you know, some of these things that are delicacies to, to, the, to the Chinese. Uh-huh. You know, and how I, do you eat a silkworm? Just, they're just chopsticks and yeah, straight just sitting in a bowl. Yeah. I mean, I've been on the Silk Road. You know, I've been over and saw the 
you know, that whole beautiful part of China and all the history behind that. And, of course, one of the restaurants, one of their things was silkworms, you know. And, and you know what? I actually ate them and didn't think they were bad. But Jasmine, who works for us over there, um, she's my right-hand woman over there. She's, she's unbelievable, the work that she does for us over there. But she wouldn't even eat them. Mm. <laughs> so, and she's Asian, so... <laughs> I just, like I told you before, I just kind of learned that, that, you know, I want to show them that I respect them and that I, you know, that I, if I'm in China, I'm, I'm in China. And I'm going to do as the Chinese do, so. <laughs> now, I was thinking, you know, it was interesting because we had originally scheduled this podcast the day Nevada officially closed its doors to non-essential businesses. Yeah. And... You know, here we are, um, it's at the beginning of September, and nobody knew what was going to happen with COVID-19, but can you tell us kind of how it's affected your business? Well, I'll be honest, um, when, at first when they, when they shut things down, um, I was very, very worried, you know, you know being a businessman. And thinking, okay, what what's this going to do for the future? And and of course, we're looking at waters we've never, you know, we've never waded in before. This is new and unique. Right. And so, I've never been that way. I've always fallen on records, and you know, I can look at the past and, and know what I've done and, and prepare myself. This is something I was not used to, and I didn't know. But one thing I always believe that if you have inventory in the warehouse, you're gonna be you're gonna be okay. And at the time, we had inventory, and that was sure. a good thing. But what we did not expect was that, of course, the difficulty in getting product, mm -hmm. you know. So I was glad I had inventory. Uh, the difficulty of getting it, uh, I jumped on that quickly. I got Jasmine going to work saying, look, we've got to prepare. Um, I'm going to send you POs and get you, you know, manufacturing and get things going because I just don't know where we're, where we're coming from. But then all of a sudden, um, business just started to pick up. People decided that they were, didn't want to be locked up indoors and wanted to get out and go do things. Um, that's one thing, you know, me and my wife decided we were going to do. She's a school teacher, and so, of course, that came to an end quickly. Uh, and I mean, she had to still do a lot of the online stuff and that kind of thing. But if we got a break and could run out and go fish, we did. Problem is, everywhere we went, <laughs> there were more people than I've ever seen before. And I always decided, okay, well, we're going to go really early. And so I could, I could go early and catch fish. And then when everybody showed up, I could go home and be done. So I still was able to get some good fishing in. But, but that being said, um, business picked up quite rapidly. And um, luckily, Adamsville was prepared. We had quite a bit of inventory. Um, I had inventory on order. Um, inventory um, came in in a timely fashion. We had we got a container in the first, the end of June that filled us up. But the problem is business. Uh, I've never seen business at this level before. So consequently, we're sitting here right now. Um, I'm out of several products. Um, orders are still coming in. July is the biggest month in the history of our of our company. And product is still coming in though uh, at the end of this month we'll be back fully in stock again nice uh, orders are still being placed uh, um, luckily and thank thankfully i mean i love our customers they're they're so understanding they're 
you know, they're willing to say, hey, you just ship us that when the product arrives. Well, it's not you were a little proactive on the whole approach, too, which sounded like that, in a way, it was kind of a lifeline where you did have the inventory, you did act quickly on it, and, you know, you may be one of a handful of, you know, guys out there that's was kind of prepared, as most, as, as prepared as you can be, you know, and that, that goes a long way. It's, it's you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about, um, you're thinking about everybody. You know, it's, it's, you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to, you want to keep the business afloat, but it's like, hey, but it's, it's those other businesses that help me and the people coming in their doors. You know, how do I keep them happy? How, yeah. do, I, how do I keep that coming? You our know, customers so. are, are I, I absolutely bend over for our customers because we are no, nothing without them. We, we have to have, and a lot of the customers I have, I were actually part of Hendrix years and years ago wow. that we've had for, for many, many years. And, and I'm grateful to them. Yeah. You know, we've, we're getting to a day and an age when when online customers, uh, you know, are starting to get more and more popular, particularly in, in this industry. Yeah. You know, where they're going and ordering their stuff online. And sure, you know, you have to make yourself available, particularly in areas where we don't have a retailer. But Adams Built is still focusing and pushing its business toward the retailer. Those are the ones that have been there for us and we want to be there for them. Yeah, and it's such a specialized sport, especially the fly fishing end of it, where it's that that reach out and touch something, actually physically have to engage that product or those product lines to understand what you're getting or what you need, you know, and that interactiveness with, like, your dealer network. You know, you could have a, a wall of, you know, Adam's built product and all these fly fishing goods, and that customer walks up and he doesn't have that person coming up to him and going, hey, what do you need? You know, how can I help you? It's just, it's, it's the same as online shopping where they're like, I think, I think, I think, you know, versus being directed towards, hey, this is, I would highly suggest this or highly recommend this, you know, and I think that's pretty awesome. You have a legacy of, of, of the dealership network and relationships that, you know, help you, you know, stay where you're at. It says a lot. Well, and, and you, you look at, like, waiters becomes a big challenge online because... <sighs> The demographic, you know, everybody's a different. Everybody's size different. Everybody's shape different. You know, you and and if you're gonna find that waiter or that boot that fits you correctly, you really need to try it on. Yeah, put it on. We have had an issue or two when when people have ordered online and they're like, hey, this doesn't fit. Well, we'll gladly just just take it to a retailer and exchange it, or or send it back to us and we'll take care of you. Nice. You know, we'll make sure that you get taken care of that way, but. But yeah, that that's invaluable that they can go in the shop and try that stuff on and see if they, you know, see if it fits them well first. Absolutely. Saves a lot of freight costs, which <laughs> is, is a big deal in this industry. Well, yeah. in any industry. Yeah, yeah, especially recently. And what, kind of one of my last questions is, what is, uh, do you still have a bucket list? Is there anywhere in the world that you'd you'd want to get to that you haven't had the chance yet? Well, I can either say this, I either have a really small bucket or a really big bucket. I, I just have to decide <laughs> what percent to put on there. I've been lucky, I, I will tell you, I've been lucky to fish in a lot of places. And saltwater has become uh, one I really enjoy just because of the, uh, you know, having to go somewhere to get there. One place I have not spent a lot of time that I would probably like to spend a little bit more time and my wife's been getting... Uh, more and more into fly fishing, particularly over the last few years. 
And I think that we would like to spend uh, quite a bit more time in the Alaska area. Huh? Um, Dennis, who's uh, our marketing guy that does all of our marketing for me, he has a TV show called Wild Fish, Wild Places. And, and we've kind of been a sponsor for him. And he's, put, you know, he's, he's really helped us to, to get our branding out there. And he's yeah. fished Alaska a lot, and he shows me these pictures that we use a lot in our marketing, and I'm just like, oh man, I got. Unfortunately, it's me and Linda, so we have to stick to business a lot. And, but she she knows that I, if I need to go, I go, and she takes care of it. I've seen uh, some recent um, social media posts from him up in Alaska. Um, I think it sounds like he's up there now. Or, he just got back. He just got just back, got back. And, and, and talk about. Um, it's a good look for Adams Built because he's using he's using the nets, got the hat on, got the gear on. You know, it's it's uh, you know Alaska's that's big time. <laughs> well, the beautiful you know? thing too is that's pretty hard country, and mm-hmm. he gets our gear up there, and they're busting through the bush and and going into that back country, and they're uh, you know hiking all over the place, and they're putting our gear to the test, and you know it's wonderful when he comes home and says, "Man, this stuff's just great." That's awesome. That's how, now, don't get me wrong. You know, there's times you get up there and and uh, something happens and you blow out a boot, you know, but he knows where to get him. So. Right. <laughs> so, I, phone call away. <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm on the market for a new pair of waders. Mine are, I think there's more silicone than original wader at this point. No, <laughs> so many yeah, no, little patches. They're impressive. They're impressive. <laughs> but they're keeping me dry, so. Yeah, it's the moving leak. It's the moving leak. As much as you patch them up, it just sprouts, you know. It's like, you know, the old cartoons where they're sticking their, their fingers, you know, on the, the wall of the dam. Like, oh, there's a leak. And it comes out someplace else. Another finger, another finger, and a foot, you know. Yeah. Well, punctures are far easier to fix than, than when you get the seam leaks, you know. The seam mm. leaks tend to, like you say, grow and continue. But Sure. But you know what? If, you, if it's good material, you know, there's stuff out there that can fix it. You know, keep those things going for a while. But waiters are waiters, and they they do have a, yeah. you know, they, they do reach life. mortality in, in, in a, you know, for guys that fish 50, 60 times a year. Oh, uh, yeah. Or, or more, you know, the mortality rate's a little bit shorter. There is a mortality rate, and I could tell you from experience, especially just here, like in the eastern Sierras, I mean, you know, places of Truckee, Truckee River, of course. Um, one of my favorites, like the East Walker, um, hitting some of that brush line, you're hitting through some of that brush, and you know, like uh, one of the most classic ones that tears you up, so the wild rose. You'll come into a thatch of that, and you're like, once you're in the middle of it, you're like, I'm leaking. Doesn't matter what you have on. <laughs> you're all, I think, just There's torn a me section up. in, in Verdi, uh-huh. far off the beaten path, and I ended up just just going right through a big section of wild rose. Wild rose. Russian olives do the same it's, thing. Russian yeah. olives, the, 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 the wild berry bushes up in the Rogue River, you know. You know when you're, when you're wading through there and you, and you draw blood, there's, there's eventually going to be an issue. <laughs> uh-oh. uh-oh. Well, awesome. This has been a great podcast. We really appreciate the opportunity, Mon. Yeah, thank We've you been so looking much. forward to it for a long time. And uh, it's been great to sit down with you. And hopefully we get to do it again down the road. But I think we've learned some really awesome stuff. And I hope our listeners have, have, have gained something out of this. A little bit more knowledge about Adamsville and Mont and what's going on here. So, Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure. Well, I appreciate your patience trying to get through this, yeah. this virus and all that stuff yeah. to where we can meet.
Yeah, well, between the virus and then you being busy, it's kind of not, it's not a bad way. No, know, so. it hasn't been a bad way, but so. it's, it's, I, I just, just in closing, guys, I, I see a, a great future for this industry. I really, really do. And I see, I really have learned and, and I see a great future for Adamsville and, and, and the products that we represent. It's, it's some quality stuff. Give it a try. I think you'll really, really like it. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing it to the table. So. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, until next time, uh, this is uh, Burritos, Breaks, and Flies signing off. It's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife. But I've been working, man, dang near all my life, and I'll keep on working. Long as my two hands are fit to use I'll drink my beer in a tavern Sing a little bit of these working man blues I'll keep my nose on the grindstone Work hard every day I might get a little tired on the weekend After I draw my pay, I'll go back working Come Monday morning, I'm right back with the crew I drank a little beer that evening Sang a little bit of these working man blues Sometimes I think about leaving Do a little bumming around I want to blow my bills out the window Catch a train to another town I'll go back working Gotta buy my kids a brand new pair of shoes I drank a little beer in a tavern Cry a little bit of these working man blues Here comes that working man Two hands are fit to use I'll drink my beer in a tavern Sing a little bit of these working man blues This song for the working man <laughs>